BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. They were doing a golf. I told you they were doing a golf. And they were doing a golf. They were driving around a golf course, which Trump owns, on nine golf carts that Trump owns. And Trump was pointing at golf stuff that Trump owns. They were doing a golf. But, you say, those men with him, you saw the photo captions. Those were Devin Nunes and Kevin McCarthy and Sean Hannity and the new lawyer James Trusty. Except none of the men in any of the photos were Devin Nunes or Kevin McCarthy or Sean Hannity or James Trusty. One of them was Larry Glick. Larry Glick is like the Trump vice president for golf. And one of them was Brad Eaney. And Brad Eaney is director of grounds at the Trump golf course in Virginia. And if Trump is consulting Brad Eaney about anything more important than Carl Spackler and the gopher... You can relax. It means Trump has given up. They were doing a golf. But, you say, aha, none of them had golf sticks or mallets or whatever they're called. They weren't playing golf. 
They were just pretending to be doing a golf. This was the mob's 1957 Appalachian Summit at Joe the Barber, Barbara's home west of Binghamton. And those, those guys were the heads of the various Trump crime families. No. They were doing a golf. This was Trump doing one of the few things that makes him feel almost happy like a human being for a few seconds a decade, showing his employees how to do the jobs they are experts at. I have witnessed this. Years ago, I lived, most reluctantly, in what was then called Trump Palace on 3rd Avenue in New York City. Trump, an inveterate brown noser, knew I lived there and once wrote me a fan letter about a piece I had done on ESPN. A month or two later, and I'm not proud of this, the elevators started to go wacky in the building, so I wrote him a note back. I brown-nosed back. I belatedly thanked him for his kind note. I mentioned in passing that I knew how concerned he was about his property since they had his name on them and blah, 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 blah. I'm thinking, this is the way to get the damn elevators fixed promptly. A couple of days later, I get a call from Trump's vice president of properties. Mr. Trump asked me to call and let you know he's very grateful and he's going to fix it and I'll be there inspecting it this afternoon and he and I'll be back to inspect it next week. And they were. And there was Trump in the lobby of my building with his vice president of this and his executive director of that and the equivalent of his six Carl Spacklers and his four Brad Enies and Trump is storming around the lobby and he's pointing wildly at the elevators and then he points wildly at the door to the gym and then he points wildly at Tom the concierge. And then he walks to the elevators, and then all the vice presidents and the Carl Spacklers walk with him to the elevators, and everybody writes down what he says, and then he strides out through the front door as happy as a clam, and they all stride out right behind him, and he gets into a limo, and the other eight guys get in eight separate cars, exactly like at the golf course outside Washington yesterday. They were doing a golf Don't get me wrong. All of a sudden, in midday, the story seemed to make sense. The Justice Department had peppered Trump land, including Dan Scavino and including the damned Women for America First group with at least 40 subpoenas about the coup attempt and especially any communications anybody had with the Justice Department in the last weeks of the Trump administration. And they'd taken at least two phones from Boris Epstein and Mike Roman. And of course they're meeting on the golf course because they're worried about bugs. Plus, a bunch of them don't have phones anymore. It makes perfect sense. No, it didn't. They were doing a golf They were not trying to find a way out of the special master case because the hints late last night were that the judge, Eileen Cannon, had seen the light and might be moving towards a compromise and backing away from her damaging ruling that the National Intelligence Damage Assessment and the possible prosecution of Trump for espionage should be frozen while the special master rifles through the most secret documents our government can produce. The government said it would not contest the idea of a special master so long as Judge Cannon would rule that the, oh, hundred most classified documents in the case would be excluded from such rifling. 
The government then said it would accept the Trump nominee for this, Judge Raymond J. Deary, as the special master, which, by the way, would make him special master Deary. And Trump's lawyers hinted the government could continue to use, quote, criminal investigative tools, which you only use if you, you know, are investigating a crime, which is why they call them criminal investigative tools. There is a chance the Trump-appointed judge may wind up not throwing a case to Trump or forcing the government to go to an appeals court and which Trump appointed six of the 11 members to stop a nuclear kleptomaniac. Before we leave Trump and his criminal masterminds, well, his golf masterminds, they were doing a golf. Let me repeat my mantra since about the third week I ever covered politics on a full-time basis, circa 1998. Democracy is not preserved by the efforts of those of us who struggle to defend it. It is preserved by the stupidity of those determined to destroy it. Jeffrey Clark was the environmental lawyer who was going to become the Trump attorney general at the end who would overturn democracy by seizing all the voting machines and appointing special election prosecutors like that bad road company version of Morticia Adams, Sidney Powell. Well, one of the right-wing streaming networks interviewed Jeffrey Clark after the news broke about all the January 6th subpoenas yesterday. And Clark had a thought. Only... It wasn't a smart thought. This is really creating a, a lot of upsetment in the country and a lot, I think, of, of outrage and, and justifiable outrage. Outrage? You mean outrageitude, sir? Outrageitudinous. It's causing upsetment. Nitwit. They need to realize that this is causing a lot of upsetment in the country. This Clark clown claims to have been captain of the debating team at Harvard. I will need to see proof of that. Upsetment. Speaking of upsetment, CNN reported yesterday that after he lost the election, Trump repeatedly told aides in the last weeks of 2020, quote, I'm just not going to leave. We're never leaving. How can you leave when you won an election? How did CNN know this? Well... CNN contributor Maggie Haberman gave it to them as an exclusive excerpt from her new book. Then why are we hearing of these events from November and December 2020 now, as opposed to, say, in Haberman's reporting for The New York Times in November or December 2020, or maybe last year or even early this year? because Maggie Haberman's new book might as well be titled, I'm not going to report any of this until I get a book deal. This is the third time in six months that Maggie Haberman of CNN and the New York Times has done this with the same damn book. On February 10th, in another exclusive excerpt from her book, Axios reported that Trump had flushed White House documents down the White House toilet. Then on August 8th, Maggie Haberman released photos of the supposedly stuffed toilets, also to Axios. Discounting the months after September 11th, 2001, I have not been a full-time reporter as opposed to a host or anchor and reporter since I was at CNN in 1983, and that's all I did every day. 
But I really don't think the entire premise of reporting has changed since then. The idea was if you had a great story, whether it was video of a burning building or an anonymously sourced story about a president trying to overthrow democracy, the idea was to, you know, report it as fast as you could. Now, in the old days, you might wait a few hours until the next edition of your newspaper came out or your next sportscast was scheduled on the TV, but you did not sit on an important detail for months, especially if something you were reporting on was actually important to, you know, the preservation of American democracy. Yet the evil of Trump seems to have inspired a kind of moral nihilism among those covering him. Bob Woodward has pulled this same stunt with three different books, including suppressing audio of Trump telling him in February of 2020 that COVID was airborne and far more serious than anybody understood. Not surprisingly at all, if you have ever met a reporter, especially a newspaper reporter, this has been defended by other newspaper reporters on the premise that time and time alone provides context for stories of great importance, or only great reporters provide context, or, or only large book advances provide context. It's bullcrap. In fact, it's dereliction of duty. The Eastman coup attempt was buried until Woodward's book with Robert Costa came out. The Jenna Ellis How to Steal an Election memo was hidden until John Carl's book came out. Still, for sheer audacity, the verb form of this will have to be to Haberman. To Haberman is to hear in real time, or at any point before your book manuscript is finalized, that the President of the United States had decided not to leave the White House when his term was up, for you to hear him say, I'm not leaving, and for you to reply, and I'm not reporting. In fact, Haberman's case is so egregious, and as I noted, this is three times now that she has suppressed breaking news with one book, that it is fair to ask what else she knows that she is still holding back until her new book, I'm Not a Reporter, I'm a Scheduler of Advanced Self-Publicity, comes out. There is a group looking into all these matters, in fact, on our behalf. It is called the House January 6th Committee. And bluntly, the House January 6th Committee should subpoena Maggie Haberman and put her under oath, or failing that, at least put her under contract. Son of a... I mean, you could break a story and then, oh, just wait a year to tell anybody about it. We have six months before the world explodes. I'm going to hold that till my book comes out in eight months. Still ahead on Countdown, Worst Persons, one of those serious non-opinion Fox News, quote, newscasters, claims Joe Biden said he hates half of all Americans. Postscripts to the news, the January 6th committee is considering inviting uh, Maggie Haberman. No, no, Trump and Pence to testify. Also Santa Claus, they're going to invite Santa Claus. And in sports, this is literally true, bark in the park night at City Field in New York, the Cubs hound Chris Bassett and collar the Mets 5-2 when with the bases loaded, Darren Ruff was caught barking up the wrong tree and popped out to right field and the Mets screwed the... That's next. This is Countdown.
Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up, picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Nothing to do with anyone personally, but Creighton is the team every year that the nerds, you know, the basketball nerds, are like, you know, who's ready to get Creighton, you don't watch Creighton. And I'm like, I don't want to watch Creighton because I agree with Shannon the dude today. Creighton's never going to win anything. Stop talking to me about Creighton. They're not never the, not gonna, the not the Big East tournament. They're, well, I mean, they could maybe they win the Big East tournament, but it'll only be luck. But like, they're always like, you know, a sleeper team. That, like that guy who I told you had eight title teams. One of his title teams was Creighton. Is not winning the national championship. It's yeah, I don't not, have him doing that. That like that's why do we all have to act like Creighton is a, is a is a good team. Creighton's like the band they all say you should know if you really knew bands. <laughs> and then they're never at any of the Yeah, exactly. And it comes time for the Grammys and they lose out to, like, you know, Lil Dirk. And you're like, see, I knew Lil Dirk was better. Why are you, t- why are you telling me? see the whole time. <laughs> and this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey guys, it's Steve Cavino from Cavino and Rich here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. And with the new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. When you buy a Toyota truck... You buy Toyota Dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer. Check out the amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Chasing Life. Three out of four U.S. adults are considered overweight or have obesity. 75% of Americans. Dr. Fatima Cody-Stanford Our weight is one factor that plays a role in our health. But by itself, it doesn't give us the full story of who we are. We have to look at our full person. Listen to Chasing Life, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. And still ahead on Countdown with his special interest in teenagers, you would have thought Matt Gates would have been nicer to a 12-year-old. But when that 12-year-old was the child of his election opponent, of course, he's going to mock the fact that the kid is autistic. Worst person's coming up. First, in each edition of Countdown, we feature a dog in need whom you can help. Every dog has its day. Willow has been through a lot in her brief eight months on this planet. A stray found in rural Texas crawling towards houses and human help moved to new york needing treatment for neurological problems she really can't walk probably she is a survivor of distemper as a puppy but even in her condition 
she will crawl into the nearest human lap and wag her tail. SNAR, Special Needs Animal Rescue and Rehabilitation in White Plains, New York, is fundraising for Willow on Giving Grid. You can find Willow there on Giving Grid and donate if you want. Or just look for my tweet about Willow on my account for dogs in need, at Tom Jumbo Grumbo on Twitter. And thank you very much for doing so. Coming up on Countdown, the good news, I beat CNN in the ratings one night for live coverage of a Bush speech. The bad news, I was dying of septicemia at the time. Always check your appendix. Coming up. First, postscripts to the news, some headlines, some thoughts, some snark. Dateline, Washington. The January 6th committee is meeting today, not with cameras nor the really good production that made its hearings the best show and tell since Watergate. It is meeting as a committee, apparently to set its next public hearing, reportedly for September 28th. That would be two weeks from tomorrow. It is also reportedly going to discuss offering opportunities to Pence and Trump to testify. Obviously, nobody is expecting either of them to have the guts to show up. They're Trump and Pence. But a large percentage of the committee would like to have the official record read, at least, that the creature behind the attempted coup was offered the chance to go on the record and spew his bullcrap. Also, it would be nice to hear Pence again defend the mob that wanted to assassinate him. Dateline Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. If that nutjob Doug Mastriano becomes the next governor of Pennsylvania, conspiracy theorist Tony Shoup is likely to become his secretary of state. Sunday, as 9-11 was commemorated, Shoup posted a photo of a plane hitting the World Trade Center with the message, never forget and learn to question everything. Controlled demolition, building seven, follow the money. No, none of the above. You're just a stupid, terrified person, Ms. Shoup, who cannot function in a world that might be entirely or largely random. So you have to fabricate excuses to give you the illusion of control over life that you do not have and never will have. Shoup also believes in the cabal. If you don't know what that is, it's a euphemism for an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. She's also QAnon, and she's previously stated 9-11 was a false flag. I got your false flag right here, lady. Dateline 777 Chick Hearn Drive, Los Angeles. Emmy Awards last night. Yes, that's actually the address of the theater. Just make a left at Xbox. And then uh, uh, bear to the right near South Crypto. Crying out loud. No Chris Rock, no Will Smith, no slap. None were injured. This is SportsCenter. Wait, check that. Not anymore. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. In sports, it remains the greatest waste in sports. Mike Trout of the Los Angeles Angels homered in his seventh consecutive game last night. The record is eight straight games. This is Trout's 11th homer in 21 games since he returned from the injured list. It was his 35th in just 100 games this season. Mike Trout is now a month past his 30th birthday. He's in his 12th major league season, all of them spent with the Angels. His team last reached the playoffs in 2014. 
Mike Trout has played in three postseason games in his life. They were all losses, and he has come to the plate 15 times, all in an American League Division Series playoff round. Thank you, Nancy Faust. And in the Unexpected Consequences Department, three English Premier League matches have been postponed this weekend because the funeral of Queen Elizabeth will consume all the police resources. So naturally, the European soccer cognoscenti are worried about how this will affect the World Cup, which starts in November, and how it will impact the various European championships, which, as you know, in international soccer, are contested every three hours and 17 minutes. Still ahead on Countdown, how is your appendix? Which pain tells you that there's something wrong with your appendix? The pain when you push in or when you let go or when you hit it with a brick? Learn my hilarious lessons in things I promised not to tell coming up. First, the daily roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. The bronze Harris Faulkner, Fox News. There are dishonest people on that propaganda channel. There are confidence trickers. And then there are just morons. She is one of the latter. Supposedly a non-opinion newscaster, she ranted on Monday about not killing the remaining five 9-11 terrorists. Quote, we have a president who hates at least half of Americans. How do we know? Because he keeps telling us. Can't tell if Ms. Faulkner can't count or does not have the capacity to process words. More quotes. So what about those military families? The families whose children went to war because of what happened, who willingly went and gave their lives after we were hit. What do we say to them? When we say we will make a deal for these guys who took more than 3,000 lives of Americans in this country, on American soil, what do we say to those military families? We give up? We got tired? We like liberalism in our justice system better than we love you? Well, here's what you say, Faulkner. The 3,000 dead of 9-11 were not military for the most part. They were civilians. The military leadership of this country, the commander-in-chief at the time especially, was asleep at the switch in 2001. And while it's not the fault of the military families, the military owes the families of the 9-11 dead a series of endless apologies. Also, the war that followed 9-11 that affected so many military families, that had nothing to do with 9-11. That was loaded up and ready to go by Bush and company before 9-11. The rest of us tried to tell you military families that you were being conned, used, literally sacrificed, but you were too busy saluting and chanting USA, USA to listen to us or to think. So what do we tell the military families? We tell them, thank God the country's now being run by a president who does not send their boys to die just to get himself reelected. Try that, Ms. Newscaster. The silver Congressman Butthead himself, Matt Gates, still has not apologized. He tweeted two photos on Saturday, one of a small crowd of old white folk carrying his campaign signs, contrasted to another photo of one young boy alone behind a table draped with a campaign sign for his electoral opponent, the DeSantis COVID whistleblower, Rebecca Jones. The caption, Gates versus Jones campaign events. Well, turns out the boy in the picture is Rebecca Jones's 12-year-old son who had joined her at a local health expo. He is autistic. He had conked out at the expo and he was taking a nap. And Gates took a picture of him and mocked him. 
Ms. Jones's response, quote, you're a sick, immoral son of a bitch, Matt Gates. You're going to go to prison for your preying on underage boys and girls, but not before I destroy you in November. If he's following my son around and taking pictures of him and posting them publicly, what else do you think he does when no one's looking? Hashtag beat the perv. I think Ms. Jones is showing admirable restraint here. I, I don't think I could manage it. But our winner, Florida's would-be dictator, Ron DeSantis. When President Biden announced the college loan forgiveness program, Rhonda slammed it as bribing voters. Then last night, Rhonda tweeted a photo of a fire crew all holding envelopes with this message. $1,000 bonus checks are in the mail for Florida's first responders. These checks are a token of our appreciation. This makes two years in a row that we have delivered, his word, delivered, for our fire, rescue, and law enforcement communities. Florida Governor Rhonda, forgiving loan debt once is bribing voters, but handing out cash two years in a row is delivering Santas. Today's worst person in the BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey guys, Rob Parker here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck like the rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower further than ever before or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma delivering trail dominating power and captivating style the new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true and with the new available tech this legendary truck is getting even better and when you buy a Toyota truck you buy Toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future so visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com toyota let's go places smart journalism fascinating topics 
Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. We are revisiting the public school culture wars. What have we learned from the kids who fought against book bans? We really started the club to get students reading these books. Students have an opinion in this fight, too. How has the war over books sparked a backlash to the so-called parents' rights movement? It's not okay what they're doing, and they're being watched. Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. To the number one story on the countdown and my favorite topic, me, and things I promise not to tell. So it's another anniversary one. Sometime on Wednesday, September 12th, 2007, I began to feel bad, all strained on my right side. But my girlfriend at the time, Katie Turr, and I had just moved only a few weeks before into our new apartment, and I was still pushing boxes around, and I thought I'd just strained something. The next morning, the 13th, I was still feeling like crap, but now my stomach also hurt, and I thought I was bloated or constipated or something, and maybe some sit-ups would help, and actually they felt like they had relieved some of the pressure. And Katie's father, who was among many, many things an EMT, happened to be in town. He gave me a Vicodin or something, and I took a nap and went into work a little later than usual at MSNBC, which I could get away with that day because President Bush was speaking that night, and almost all of my work that night would be ad-libbed before his speech and then after his speech. I wrote what I needed to write quickly, and at about 7.15, I went out to the show line producer, Greg Kordick, who sat in exactly the right place that he could make certain that I had left for makeup and was going to the studio on time. I had to walk right past him, and I said, I'm exhausted. I'm just going to close my eyes at my desk for a couple of minutes. If you don't see me go past by like 7.40, come in and wake me up. And I sat down. I put my legs up on my desk. I folded my hands behind my head, and I just closed my eyes. More to rest my eyes than in any real hope of sleeping. I am a fickle sleeper. There's not a chance I could snooze like that. Next thing I know, it's 7.40, and I'm feeling somebody shaking me. And seriously, a hand on each shoulder. Apparently, it took Mr. Kordick a little while to wake me up, and I thanked Greg and staggered to the makeup room, and I realized now I had a little fever, but it was too late to do anything about it. So I got my makeup, went to the set, did the lead into Bush's speech, took some notes during it, did the post-speech wrap-up with the analysts, and after two hours on the air, I got in the car that they sent for me to go home to New York from New Jersey, And I fell asleep again in the car. I still thought, this is some weird stomach flu. And I'm bloated beyond belief. And I really don't feel good, but I bet that's just from listening to George W. Bush one time too many. I'll just go to bed. I found it was too difficult to lie on my stomach or my side, which presented a problem because rarely can I fall asleep on my back, but I had to try and... The next thing I knew, it was morning. I slept like a stone, but I still felt really bad. In fact, a little bit worse. On top of all which, Katie was yelling at me about something, and I had a checkup for something unrelated at my doctor's office, and I left early so I could go buy something for the constipation. And then when my doctor called me in, he said, you look terrible. Are you okay? And I said, no, I got this really sore stomach. And the last night I had this fever for a while, and he kind of gasped. And now he looked terrible, and he said, when was the last time you ate? I said, you know, funny, I, have, <laughs> I haven't thought about food for a couple days. And then he asked me, when was the last time that happened? And I said, when I was in the womb. And he had me stand up and he pushed his finger into my stomach about five inches to the right of my navel. And holding the finger there, he said, does this hurt? And I said, not at all. 
And then he said, does it hurt now as I take my finger away? And I don't remember if I said anything or not because I saw the proverbial stars in front of my eyes and I let out a scream. So he said, get back in your car and you go to our other office at 59th and 10th and go see our gastro specialist. And I said, sure, just don't poke me again. And when I got there, they showed me right in and she taps me and she says, why are you hunched over like that? And I said, I'm hunched over. And she says, if you haven't eaten in two days, how come your stomach is hard as a rock? And I said, is this a medical quiz? Because you're the doctor. And she says, I want you to go across the street to the hospital emergency room. I'll call them while you're walking. Just go right in and tell them you're the one Dr. Lou called about because, boy, your appendix burst. And although I think you'll be fine, technically you've got about, well, 8, 10, 12 hours to live. Well, that got my attention. And as I'm grabbing my jacket and my bag, I say, wait, if this isn't just constipation, how come it felt better when I did the sit-ups? And she says, because when you did the sit-ups, you only had an infected appendix that was going to burst. When you did the sit-ups, dummy, that's when the appendix burst. You burst it. So I said, wait, I went on TV for two hours after my appendix burst? Shut up, she explained. She was right. The ER people saw me immediately. They ran a bunch of tests and reminded me that if I hadn't already, I should probably call in sick for a couple days. And I said, wait, what day is today? And they helped out and they said Friday. So I called MSNBC and I called the producer of Football Night in America, which I was doing for NBC on Sundays. And I said, hey, sorry, looks like I'm technically dying from a burst appendix and they're going to operate on me as soon as they can get a surgeon in here. And they say it's real unlikely I'll be out of the hospital by Sunday or Monday. Have a nice day. I called Katie, who had already gotten to her job in local cable news in Brooklyn, and she turned around to come help me out at the hospital. And then I just waited and got goofier and goofier and goofier and goofier. I think they operated around 7 or 8 p.m. The surgeon introduced himself. He was a big sports fan. Fred Kimmelsteel, the surgeon, named by prophetic parents. And I went to the anesthesiologist and I warned him, I said, I'd once woken up from anesthesia during an endoscopy, and could he make sure that that didn't happen again? In fact, I said that the other day when I had my knee operated on, and this guy did the same thing. They Both of these anesthesiologists just laughed when I challenged them to knock me out a little bit harder. So Dr. Kimmelsteel asked me about the latest Met choke job. This is the one in 2007, not the one in 2022. And I started to talk about David Wright. And the next thing I knew, I was freezing cold and trying to open my eyes. And it was three hours later and the surgery was over. What a mess, said Dr. Kimmelsteel. Never had one that bad before. Thank God it abscesses. You'll be here all weekend. And I was. The next day they made me get out of bed. And I think it took me half an hour to walk about 20 feet down the hallway and back. And there was a morphine drip and a new bag of intravenous antibiotics every two hours. And at one point, the phone rang. And I really did have to go back the following week and ask the producer if this actually happened or I merely hallucinated it. But the phone rang and it was the football night in America people. And they said they were going to shoot video of the hospital I was in. And I said, I don't think you can see me from the street. And they said, right, we know that. We're just pretty much doing this for a laugh at your expense while you're in the hospital and we're on TV. And then finally, my appetite came back on Monday, and I was able to eat some pancakes, and they sent me home in the afternoon. And for two days after that, I was still sweating out the poisons and the antibiotics and the painkillers. And I mean, I was so warm, I could not bear to have a shirt on. But by Thursday, I was able to go back to work. And just to show off, I wrote a special comment about Bush from my first show back. I was extremely pleased with myself. 
Now, there are three postscripts to this. Now, obviously, I learned and I've just taught you the test for appendicitis or burst appendix. If you poke it and it doesn't hurt until you stop poking it, it's your appendix. Fat lot of good, that'll do me now. I don't have an appendix. Second, weeks later, I was at dinner with my friend John Cleese from Monty Python's Flying Circus, and he said he'd heard the story about my appendix, and he was very upset with me. I did the exact same thing, John said. It blew up, and for two days, I had no idea how serious it was. Thought it was a cold. But don't tell people that. Don't undersell it and call it a burst appendix. You and I, we were both dying of septicemia. Never let anybody forget that. And I haven't. And the last and best postscript was, while I'm lying there recovering after the surgery, the phone rings and it's my executive producer and she says, good news, when you anchored before and after Bush's speech and you got sick or after you got sick, you beat CNN in the ratings by like 25%. And as stoned on the painkillers as I might have been, I was still able to say to her, I beat CNN. I beat CNN with one appendix tied behind my back. I've done all the damage I can do here with no appendixes tied behind my back. Help me out. Give this thing a good review or a rating or subscribe to it or, I don't know, do something the kids say you should do with this. The Countdown theme from Beethoven's Ninth. It was arranged, produced, and performed by Countdown musical directors Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel. All orchestration and keyboards by John Philip Chanel. Guitars, bass, and drums by Brian Ray. Produced by TKO Brothers. Other Beethoven selections in the program have been arranged and performed by No Horns Allowed. Our sports music, the Olbermann theme from ESPN2, written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN Inc. Musical comments from Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever, and our announcer today was Jonathan Banks. And that's Countdown for this, the 614th day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Arrest him now while we still can. New episode tomorrow. Till then, I'm Keith Alderman. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Alderman is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Smart journalism. Fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. We are revisiting the public school culture wars. What have we learned from the kids who fought against book bans? We really started the club to get students reading these books. Students have an opinion in this fight, too. How has the war over books sparked a backlash to the so-called parents' rights movement? It's not okay what they're doing, and they're being watched. Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish. Streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. 
Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. From football playoffs to basketball madness, TCL Roku TVs are the best way to stream your favorite live sports. With all the biggest sports channels, a sports zone with all available games in one place, and apps like iHeartRadio with sports podcasts such as The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Cheering on your favorite team has never been easier. A big screen TCL Roku TV offers premium picture and sound quality, so you'll feel like you're right in the action. Find the perfect TCL Roku TV for you today at Amazon.com.